0: Welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast with Ruth Haley Barton. In this season of the podcast, Ruth invites leaders with diverse callings and expertise to dialogue and explore how spiritual transformation intersects with some of the most significant topics of our time. Hey, before we get into this week's episode with Ron Rollheiser, we wanted to acknowledge that the audio quality for this week's episode is not up to our usual standard. We apologize for that. We had every imaginable difficulty, both in the recording and also the editing of this episode. But because we thought the content was just so good, we wanted to get it out to you anyway. So please accept our apologies and enjoy this week's episode.
1: Well, friends, we are really excited to be launching a new season of the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. And in this season, I have the privilege of just speaking and having conversations with some of my friends, people that I've been in relationship with, people that have stimulated my own thinking, people that I respect and um, feel like they have an important contribution to make around the subject of our spiritual transformation. And in this season, we're talking about spiritual transformation and dot, 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 where we are actually filling in that blank and talking about different aspects of the spiritual transformation journey. And in this first, Episode, I am speaking with my friend Ron Rollheiser, who many of you might know already as a prolific author. He's a priest, he's president of the Oblate School for Theology in Texas, and he's also someone that I would consider to be a friend and a colleague. So, Ron and I met a number of years ago. When I stopped through the Oblate School on my way to someplace else in the big state of Texas, can't even remember where I was going at this point, and Ron was gracious enough to get together with me in person. Uh, we actually were able to have 16-ounce margaritas on the shores of the San Antonio River. It was one of the highlights, really, of my spiritual experience. And so our friendship has continued since then with mutual support and collegiality. And then we invited Ron to come and speak at our alumni retreat in 2016, and he spoke on the topic that we'll be asking him to converse about today, which is his book, Sacred Fire A Vision for a Deeper Humanity and Christian Maturity. So, Ron, welcome. I am so grateful to be able to have this conversation with you today.
2: Well, it's great to be with you, Ruth, and, and also with your constituents. You had a mm-hmm. great time in Chicago. In 2016.
1: Yeah, well it was it's something we still talk about. The three struggles that we're gonna be talking about today have become categories for us as we talk about where we are and what are God's invitations to us right now. They've really become a part of our way of being together spiritually and walking together spiritually, and I will always be grateful that your teachings are embedded in our lives in this way. The other thing I could say is that in our twenty-seven-month transforming community experience, we assign your book The Holy Longing, The Search for a Christian Spirituality. That first retreat is on desire and the role of desire in the spiritual life, and your book, The Holy Longing, uh, supports that but also catalyzes really deep and challenging thinking about the role of longing in our lives, getting us beyond the oughts and the shoulds and actually moving us to a place where we can stand in the middle of our desire and pray in the middle of our desire um, and be brave with God in that way. So I'm grateful for all of our connections, and today we are focusing on— Your book, The Sacred Fire, A Vision for a Deeper Human and Christian Maturity. And I will say this is one of my top five favorite books of all times on the spiritual life. And that's saying a lot because I have read and read and read in my life. And I'm going to tell you that you had me, Ron, at the statement, The human soul is like a fine wine that needs to ferment in various barrels as it ages and mellows. Growing up and maturing is precisely a process of fermentation. It does not happen easily without effort and without breakdown, but it happens almost despite us because such is the effect of a conspiracy between God and nature to mellow the soul. I can really relate to that process of fermentation and breaking down and the beauty of a fine wine. Ron, could you give us a bit of an overview of how you see the stages of the spiritual life as a process of fermentation?
2: Well, well you know, I, I, nature and God... It's certainly conspired together. That um, it's an organic thing, and and I want to emphasize too, it happens almost in spite of us. Mm-hmm. I, I love a line from Kathleen Dowling Singh where she says, uh, "God is going to get us one way or the other. You know, either we're going to do it through prayer, or what, or it's simply going to be done through the the process of aging." But let let me give you kind of an overview of the way I see the spiritual life, which you see laid out in the Holy Longing, and then. Uh, in, in sacred fire. I, I believe there's three basic stages to spirituality. And um they're, they're, they're also the stages anthropologically in our life. So the, the distinction I make is I, I divide it into three where I say um, the first stage of our life is to struggle to get our lives together. We can talk about that at some length afterwards, which really begins at birth but mainly individually kind of more at puberty, you know. That's the first stage to get our life together. And I call that essential discipleship from a Christian point of view. But then we enter the second stage, which is the longest stage of our life, You know, which most people are in. That's the stage from the time you kind of land somewhere in a marriage, a vocation, a job, kids, mortgages. Um, where, And that's the struggle to give your life away so that your life isn't your own. It's to give away the, what I call our generative years. But we don't die there, or at least we're not meant to die there. Some people die there. Then there's a final stage which uh, uh, for lack of a better word i simply call it the r- a radical discipleship and that's the struggle to give our deaths away you know that uh, and we're going to talk about that that's uh, um that's an interesting concept that you know it's something you're you're the same as you're supposed to actively give your life away you are also supposed to actively give your death away as right now and once that it's it's our last greatest gift to our family community to to the world and to the church and so on um you know, Ruth. In, in in classical spirituality, they often talk things what they call the purgative way. You know, the the, the unitive way, and and the, and so well. This, this is it is those stages. So the purgative way is the first stage, and then um, the unitive way is the last stage. Now, some of your your um, Listeners and stuff will have heard of Richard Rohr, and Richard Rohr is doing this. Except Richard divides it into two. He calls it the first half of life, second half of life. And a lot of people who do this, they work with they work with those stages. And um, um, when I, I've worked with Richard, and when I work with Richard, I also do the two stages. But I'm more deeply influenced by John of the Cross, and uh, whom I think was a great structural genius. And he goes for three because I think it makes so much sense just from a life point of view. You know, struggle to get your life together, struggle to give your life away, the struggle to leave your death away.
1: What I love about how you're talking about the stages of faith is that we are actually having these conversations during Lent when we're reflecting on the Pascal mystery, the mystery of life, death, burial, and resurrection. And of course, we're accustomed to talking about how Jesus gave his life away. We're used to that. But when we talk about giving our deaths away, we're actually talking about entering more fully into the Pascal mystery. And I love to hear how talking about these stages actually helps us reflect on the life of Jesus in his is life death burial and resurrection
2: well we'll see that really clearly once once we get into the stage of that some depth to we'll see very clearly um, you know what we're missing in Scripture though is the first stage you know they don't have a, a set a part of Scripture where Jesus is struggling in his life they to Introduced him to us at age 30 so what what you see in Scripture there's two very clear parts to Christ's life the struggle that you know what what during his active ministry, he's giving his life away, whereas in his passion death, we're going to see he's giving his death away. And the scripture makes that really uh, that clear differentiation so that, uh, um, you know, um, in fact, one of the, uh, somebody will point out that in the gospel of Mark, scholars point out that before Jesus is arrested and led away, all the verbs about him in Mark's gospel are active. He taught, he, he, you know, he did these things. And after he's led away, all the verbs are mm-hmm. Yeah, You leave him away, he's questioned, he mm-hmm. dies, and so on. He's acted upon. Uh, so you know, except with Jesus, because we don't have his early life, yeah. we don't have his struggle to get, to, mm-hmm. to get his life together. Yeah.
1: Well, in the very early part of Sacred Fire, I love this statement that we mature by meeting life just as God and nature designed it, and accepting there the invitations that beckon us ever deeper into the heart of life itself. Um, And then you you talk about the fact that we struggle with different forces at various times in our lives and how significant and important it is for us to understand the time that we're in if we understand the season we're actually in then we can hear the invitations and respond to the invitations of that particular time in life and i wonder sometimes if human beings miss each other when they are in different seasons and they try to advise each other and one person's in one part of their life and another person's in another part and the answers just aren't the same the invitations aren't the same the answers aren't the same and i that's why i'm excited about this conversation, because I want to talk deeply about each one of the three struggles and how those relate to our journey of transformation. So I'm ready to dig into that first struggle. Would you want to lead us now in the conversation about the first struggle?
2: Look, I I want to say Mm -hmm. one last thing, Ruth, before you go in there, and just what you said right now about um, the importance of recognizing that. I like to, to think, you know, see Jesus, as you can see, yeah, scripture Jesus didn't speak separately to young people, mm-hmm. middle-aged people, older people, like his teachings are mm-hmm. for everybody. But the difference is we hear it at different mm-hmm. points. Thank our life. you. Yes. So you know to hear it, to hear the gospel when you're seven years old, when you're seventeen, when you're thirty-seven, when yes, you're seventy, that's right. You're in a different place and it makes a huge yes. difference on on you know the different texts and the parable of the talents and so on. What stage were you likely to be doing Right,
1: and I have uh, been, part of my journey in the last couple of years has been walking with my parents through their aging, and my mom's passed away, and my dad's in a hard place right now. And to walk with him discerningly in terms of what the invitations are to him right now, the invitations are so different to him right now than they were earlier in his life. And part of being supportive of his journey is to help him to hear what's the invitation now that's different and distinct from what it was when you were younger. It's, it's precious, it's sacred, it's important. And your way of looking at this has really helped me and even walking with my parents um, in that part of their life where the invitations are distinct from earlier on in their lives. So I thank you for that. So let's talk about you know, this uh, first struggle essential discipleship the struggle to get our lives together what characterizes that and what are the invitations within that period of time in our spiritual formation
2: Well I always like to to begin with with the with the scriptural faith you know like well how, why do we what do we identify scriptures this and here I take it as you know maybe it's an extreme example but it's the struggle of the prodigal son you know as opposed to his older brother, the prodigal son, he's wrestling with some powerful energies. You know, you know, um, youth, restlessness, sexuality, uh, ambition, pleasure. Um, but see, th- those are the, the the energies we're struggling with. You know, we sometimes in church terms we put him as struggling with the devil, <laughs> but it's really, it's really with our own energies. So. Um, That's what I try to do with with the book the holy longing beginning with simply what I call eros in the greeks Today we use the word erotic or eros more for sexuality, but Technically and for the greeks, it meant something much wider It's just it's it's the sheer pulse for life and the drive that you, you know It's interesting ruth you see that already in a baby, you know babies Put everything into their mouth, and they just climb, and they touch, and they're everything. They're just driven outward. Um, you see it strongly in little kids, and and and, um, and just their, their curiosity and their openness to the world. And then you see it powerfully in teenagers, where a lot of that energy then will constellate sexually in their lives, and then you know all the ambition and the drives and so on. Um, so it, it's it's an energy. It, it's it's wide, it's sexual, it's restless. Uh, it's an energy to try to find ourselves, what I call um, um, to, to to become substantial. You know, um, who am I um, in our early years? And it's also an energy to to try to, it drives us towards marriage, it drives us toward looking for a soulmate, it drives you toward looking for something to take you home. Um, and as I say in Sacred in, in, in Fire, it, it it really begins is it, in an individuated sense at puberty, much more so at birth. So to, you know, your early years, you're born in a hospital, they take you home, um, and you're pretty comfortable there until puberty hits. But it's not your home. And then puberty, as I say in the book, um, almost humorously, puberty is designed by God and nature to drive mm-hmm.
0: you out of the house. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And it does, and then you have to go spend the next five or ten or fifteen years finding your yeah. own house, mm-hmm. your own. Uh, um, that th- th- that's in 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 its wide sense the struggle of that first part of life.
1: What does it look like? What What are the invitations of that time in life? And what does it look like to to practice discipleship? I mean, you you talk about these as being stages of discipleship, which is a good word for many of our listeners. We understand the language of discipleship. What are the invitations for us? The healthy, positive invitations, and 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 how do we say yes to those in this particular part of life?
2: Well, I would put the invitations in the, the, a verb. I like to use the. That's a time where we need to learn to channel our mm-hmm. energies, because you know, our energies are wild. And uh, uh, for instance, you see it just—you know—when you're a young teenager and you want to stay up all night, and you never want to leave a party, and you—you know—you want to be everywhere and with all friends and so on. Just to somehow remember the great quote from Kierkegaard, where he says, "To be a saint is to be able to will the one thing." Okay, and to. It's really hard to do that when you're when mm-hmm. you're young. You're willing mm-hmm. everything. We will everything that's good. We will everything that's bad. Um, but the positive invitation is for us to take this energy um, and to do great things with it. We need to channel mm-hmm. it so it doesn't go everywhere. Um, you know, in in the book, the Holy Longing, I mean, you're yes. familiar with the image I use, of where where I, where I contrast three mm-hmm. women: Mother yeah. Teresa, um, Princess Diana, and Janice Joplin. And see some Mother Teresa, um, where she could so strongly will mm-hmm. one thing, God and the poor, and all her energy is concentrated there. Then the, the opposite would be the rock mm-hmm. stars. I used Jennifer and You could use Amy Winehouse, Michael Jackson, you know, all these stars. Who, they have this powerful energy, and it destroys yeah. them in mm-hmm. some way. Because they, and they're not bad people, they, and they don't even kill themselves. They just fall apart, yeah. you know. And then I used the in-between, Princess Diana, who was half mm-hmm. Mother Teresa and half mm-hmm. star, And, um, you know, she could will it and then not will it. She'd go and spend mm-hmm. a week or two with Mother Teresa serving the poor, and then she'd go for uh, a vacation yes. with a French Yes, on a on,
1: yacht and somewhere.
2: <laughs> and, and so she willed mm-hmm. both. You know, Henry Nouwen used to say, um, he said, I want to be a great saint, but I want to experience every sensation of mm-hmm. sinners <laughs> <can>. <laughs> yes. He said, I, I want to have a deep life of prayer, but I don't want to miss anything on television, you know, or or I want to have a radical life for the poor, but I want to fly all over the world, you know. Um, but see, the invitation is is to, to use mm-hmm. this. And I, I want to bring in a parable here that I think we don't ever preach well and teach well. And that is the parable of mm-hmm. talents, you know, and. Uh, See, I really believe that is a parable. It's, it's for everybody, but it's particularly for younger yeah. people. You know, so that uh, I think sometimes, in the name of the gospel, we suppress people. Mm-hmm. You, know, um, you know, Richard Rohr likes to say, that parable means something entirely different when you're 27 and when you're 67. Yes. Yeah. So in the second half of life, success and achievement doesn't mm-hmm. teach you anything, but in the first half of life, yeah. it does it helps you, you know, to get your life
1: together I, it helps you to know what you can contribute and to do that with some level of competency which is developmentally important as well i mean that's the developmental task of that age as well you know, is to to know your gifts to hone your gifts to know what your talents are to give something um, in the world and to use your yes gifts. and to use them well and to grow in them
2: yes exactly and i'm not always sure that our churches have been confident enough to say yeah, use right your gifts. right We're always worried about pride and Mm -hmm. ambition and uh, uh, egotism, narcissism, and those are dangers. But at the same time, these are God-given gifts and uh, their talents. and, And Scripture is clear. If we don't use our talents, they beat us up.
1: Developmentally, it's not possible to lay down your life like Jesus did before you have fully claimed your life in terms of an identity, the gifts, skills, competencies, and contributions we're seeking to make yeah. to the world. It's premature to ask people to lay down their life before they have fully taken up their yeah. life.
2: you know, but, but I really believe, Ruth, that that in the growth, so for instance, you, 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 you raised kids. I always say, well, the kids raised you. Well, amen to See, that. that. So, so that in, in that you mature and, um, you know, it, it, you learn how to give your life away. It, it's kind of an organic process as as almost by conscription, you know, but, um, you know, we used to have an old Catholic thing. We called we called duties of state, you know, and they said, if you do your duties of state, well, God will lead you through them. So, for instance, if you're a mother who is a good mother, that's going to mature you, lead you to sanctity, you know. Or even your job and so on. Um, th- th- these are things that, if you do them well, you do them honestly, they will lead you to sanctity, you know, and that they'll teach you how to give your life away, as I'm sure your kids forced you. To. <laughs> Your
1: life. Okay. Right, yes, because at some point as a loving parent, you realize that your job is no longer to order their lives, but your job is to hang back a little bit and support and fade a bit into the background and allow them to flourish and come into their own.
2: But, but also and importantly, uh, it strips you of your selfishness. You, you simply become generous by conscription. And after you do it long enough, it becomes a habit and you become a generous person. You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We're in the barrel of life and we're being the yeast of life is fermenting us. And if we give ourselves over to it, we become generous. We, we eventually become saints. If we resist it, um, well, we become sour. I guess that's what happens when you resist yeast.
1: Right, right. And if you refuse that invitation, if you refuse that part of your development, you'll become extremely dysfunctional in those relationships and destructive, actually.
2: Well, Ruth, you know, I really believe that. I'm sure you, from your own experience, you'd see this too that our churches struggle with to give guidance here, and society even struggles more. I, I don't know where I see a healthy sexual ethos in our culture, you know. You don't see it in post-christians you don't see it in marxism you don't see it in islam i don't think you see it in buddhism and as christians we struggle so what's happened i think is classically all of our churches have been i don't know, for lack of a better word uptight rigid um not being able to 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 give permission healthily for sexuality but at the same time society i believe has gone to the other extreme so that uh, you know, where hook up sex or sexuality becomes just a simple, you know, extension of dating, you know. And I think for us to to uh, to find that road in between where we can, as churches, challenge our people to be robustly, like you used that word, and healthily sexual. And to enjoy sexuality is a great gift from God, and yet at the same time to be responsible, you know, that uh, it's kind of a, you know, society doesn't know how to be responsible. The churches don't know how to be robust. <laughs> um, but, but it, it, I really believe it's one of the most difficult spiritual things that's happening. You know, um, you know. Sometimes, as a priest, I'm accused of. You know, um, you know, you write too much about sex, and actually, I don't write a whole lot about sex. But remember, just to insert some humor, I was giving a talk in San Francisco, and this young man who was. If he had had a sense of humor, I could have answered the question more easily, but he says, uh, his father He says you seem to write a lot about sexuality. Do you have a problem with that? And I was gonna say I do but what gave it away? <laughs> like, like, like don't we all No, no, it's It's part of like it's, it's instinctual as deep as you're breathing It colors life, you know so and, and I think in the past the churches have been uh, have struggled let me just, you know, pick on my own church, Roman Catholics, you know, uh, and, and I'm not sure the Protestant churches have been much better, you know, but see, we've been, a, we are unable to a, to attribute sexuality to Jesus, to Mary, to Trinity, to saints, you know, and Roman Catholicism, you know, who gets canonized? Celibates.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. And, and, that's, that sends a powerful message, doesn't it? That the highest form of spirituality is to not be having sex, which that, that, that I think uh, that creates a, yeah, that, that, a
2: really hard message to, uh, to work with. And even if you go right back, you know, um, that, you know, in, in the three great, you know, monastic religions, so Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, in which we have the same God, okay, but notice our God, Yahweh, Allah, the Father of Jesus, hasn't got a wife. So he he is a celibate. Mm-hmm. So, so he's not just male in our conception, but he's male without a wife, you know. And um, in fact, somebody recently was giving a talk at the school, he said, he's, he's a male celibate and he's angry most of the time. <laughs> 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 well, he, sometimes particularly angry about sex, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. See, so we have a problem in the churches. Yeah. But society has the opposite problem where it's kind of, just given up on, on, a, on a sexual ethos, you know. Right, so that right. Sexuality becomes just a simple extension of friendship or dating, you know.
1: Uh, role recreational activity rather than yeah. the, oh, the thing for which God created it yeah. um, for that oneness. Well, and it's it's easy to anthropomorphize God as well, you know, to make God in our own image on this, I think. Um, and the truth is God does live in, in intimate community, which is also... I think from your writings, you would say that that drive for community, that drive for oneness doesn't have to be sexual necessarily. But but it's the drive for communion with God and one another, which is how our sexuality and our spirituality lie so close together in the human person. Now, because Ruth, it's that to, drive for communion.
2: To, to share an incident, you know, um, when, I, when I wrote The Holy Long, and at that time I was still writing for Hodder and Stoughton in London, England. You know, mm-hmm. When I submitted the first thing, I didn't have a chapter on sexuality. Really, to talk about the holy longing without talking about you know, sexuality, I, I didn't because I thought, you know, people want to hear it from priests and they you know, mm. But the editor at the time, very sharp young woman, she she told me. She says, You have to have a chapter on sexuality, yeah. You can't have a book on spirituality with that. Mm-hmm. And so, I actually wrote that chapter in one week, uh, yeah. And I got some pretty good feedback on it, but you know, I was kind of intimidated about writing about sexuality, yeah. But to her credit, and such, so you can't have a book. On spirituality. Yes. Uh, without sexuality, you can tell she was. Not think like we do in the churches. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes. Well, I remember your metaphor in the holy longing for the river. You know, the river that has no banks just dissipates, and you can't even see that there's a river. Yeah. And that if, if a river has its banks, then it can actually flow and be robust and have the energy that it's supposed to have. But there has to be some containment. Yeah. And I've, I think that's the main point around our sexuality, is that our culture right now has no containment. Yeah. There's no containment for the power of sexuality, but then the church on the other side has denigrated it and dismissed it and avoided talking about it. That doesn't help either. That doesn't help us to harness the power in a healthy fashion either. So, um, so anyway, I appreciate that you connect those things in your, you know, in your writings about this first stage of our discipleship. You also talk about restlessness, our insatiability. You talk about loneliness, which I think is one of the things that we saw in Princess Diana so powerfully. Is it even as she tried to straddle these two aspects of human life? her loneliness was palpable you could see it you know in her life and in her face there was this drive for something that she never could find um the struggle for meaning um the struggle to figure out what um how to be moral people in our in our day um there's so many aspects of this struggle to get our lives together let me ask you this what uh, two more questions what are the temptations that we need to be aware of What are the temptations we need to be aware of, and then finally, I'd like to conclude our conversation by talking about a a positive practice or two that helps us to continue to open to God's transforming work, even in this um, phase of our discipleship.
2: Yeah. What are our temptations? You know, um, you only have to watch the news. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I I think our temptations are to um, um, simply take take these energies. And, and, and live them out for our own comfort our own pleasure our own uh, mm-hmm. enjoyment and so on Not that in say any of that is wrong but you know like um so that um, um, the, the temptation maybe ruth I can put it into one mm-hmm. thing the temptation is, is, is to use them selfishly yes yes as opposed to um yeah, I mean I think the temptation for some is is to never harness them like you said mm-hmm. we're not close everywhere. But I think for responsible people, where they're not going to let their life, you know, flow away from them. But I think the big temptation is for us to use them selfishly rather than for other people. And um, uh, you know, which leads to your second question: what What are what are my own practices? Um, let Let me just preface in terms of um, since we're dealing here with young people in this issue, you know, one of the more powerful things I've seen schools do. And, uh, and different churches and that is to take young people to uh, live with the poor or to fix up an old house or take them to Puerto Rico now or wherever um, you know where they where, where they they're forced to to, to use their energy mm-hmm. for, for other people and so many yeah. kids it's so conversion for them you know yeah um, my own practice Ruth you know at, at, of course as a priest you know I, I try to have a a contemplative practice in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and and for me, my, you know, I I vacillate between sometimes trying to do centering prayer or, but more I find right now, more important in my life is I try to take the scriptural readings every day, a gospel and an old Testament reading and make them speak to me, you know, Um, and, um, you know, um, just to, 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 that the gospel should focus my eyesight for this day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and then on certain days I'll do centering prayer or more of a, you know, kind of a sitting practice. But um, most days, you know, I'm so busy and so on, um, but I always start the day by looking at the major gospel text, you know, and saying, I want this to focus my attention today.
1: Mm -hmm. Another one that... I have found helpful in this this particular stage of discipleship is to be willing to offer my gifts the best way I know how, but to leave the outcomes to God that um, as opposed to, to getting caught up in them and getting caught up in a success oriented performance oriented culture, even within the church and even with within spiritual ministries and missions to yes, show up to the best of my ability, offering my gifts to the best of their ability, but the practice of leaving the outcome to God and sometimes not even needing to know the outcome, just doing what is yours to do and then walking away and let, letting God be the one that oversees the outcomes and trusting the outcomes to God. I find that to be a, a very purifying thing on the inside of myself as it has to do with, with talents and gifts.
2: I find it to be a very hard thing.
1: <laughs> it is hard. It's very hard, it and it's purifying. Un- yeah, but, but it's un- just so purifying.
2: You know, everything inside of us wants to succeed.
1: Yes. Yes. We want to, you know, stay around for the
2: accolades, right? And we don't <laughs> want to be frustrated, you know, like if it just to if it finishes that the achievement, and so on. It's so deeply ingrained in us. Yes. You know? um, I want to give you one last spiritual practice. I learned from the, from the Trappist monks whom I lived with some summers. But when they do their vigils at night, so they get up like at four o'clock. But then as they, they, they do this in the dark, the oldest monk says very gently, he said, Oh, Lord, open my lips. Mm-hmm. And so I always start the day with saying that three times. And especially to open it so that I speak words of praise, words mm-hmm. of blessing rather than yeah. words of criticism. And I find that and I keep reminding myself every so often quote a meeting, Lord, open my lips. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so, that, yes. so that, I, that I speak words of praise, words of blessing, and so on. That's all that has really helped
1: me. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you, Ron, so much for, um, for this conversation on the first stage of discipleship, which is the call to get our lives together. And maybe we could just end with a moment of centering. I think that would be good since you've mentioned it. And maybe in these moments of centering, we can allow our sense of giftedness to come into our awareness our sense of the thing that God seems to be giving us to do right now a sense of longing to be as good as we can be at what it is God has given us to do to develop our talents, our competencies, our skills to offer those in the spirit of Jesus' Gospel to offer those in a spirit of surrender and if we're at all able to walk away and leave the outcomes to God Amen. Amen
0: On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening we're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org tc. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. During Lent, all new patrons will receive a digital version of Ruth's popular resource, Lent, A Season of Returning, which includes a guided reflection for each week of Lent so that you can experience Lent as a season of transformation. Again, learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.